Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. I'm Rick Morton, along with Phil Dark. We're here today to uh, talk a little bit about orphan and vulnerable children and uh, and spend a little bit of time delving into what uh, what God's doing around the world. Phil, how in the world are you today, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Today we are uh, we're actually recording it uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. So this is this is something that uh, we don't normally date when we're uh, <laughs> when we're recording something. But I thought you know this is something that uh, people around the world watch. You know I, I I'm still trying to figure out you know people in some countries that don't even have football are watching the Super Bowl. But that's what I'm told. So it's it's just crazy how some of the things that we do and some of the cultural events we have are uh, are truly global. So, um, I think this is one of them. Uh, it's, it's interesting though, Rick, I don't know. I mean, you're interested to hear your thoughts now, you know, we used to be that people watch for football, but they also watch for the commercials that happen during the game. Now with the onset of the internet, you can go on probably two weeks before the Super Bowl and watch all the Super Bowl commercials, which is smart for the marketers, but it kind of takes away from the game. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, there, yeah. And, and I think, you know, part of it with the commercials is there, there's no surprise anymore. Part of what used to be, mm-hmm. you know, just a ton of fun was even if you didn't really care about the football game, at least you could, you know, kind of dial in for some of the commercials, but, uh, but we've pretty much seen all the good stuff before we ever get there. And, uh, and so it's, uh, you know, they'll, but, but truly you're right. I think there'll be more cultural analysis over the next couple of days at what happens between the plays. And, uh, for those folks that are out there, they're football people from what I saw of, uh, the beginning of the game, not really sure there's going to be a whole lot of talk about football. Yeah. So, so that gave it away too. We're actually literally recording during the game. So it so shows how kind of boring the game has been to both of us. So anyway, you know, we don't want to talk too much again, you know, we could talk for a lot longer on that and we will not, but I, I actually, it's interesting though, because I brought that up about the commercials because as they say, everything has its shadow, right? You know, the internet has so many positive things that, that go along with it, but it also to me has some things that take away from, you know, the, like you said, the surprise, you know, sometimes some of those arguments that we had in the past are, are now a thing of the past where, you know, now you just go, what was that song from 1978? And I was like, Oh, I think it was whatever. And they said, no, it was this. And you argue for like 20 minutes on a pointless thing like that. And now those arguments aren't even there, which, you know, is, I have some fond memories of that in my childhood and I can imagine you do as well, right? You know, with your friends and you're just arguing like about something that's just totally stupid, but now you just Google it and it's done. And it's like, man, that's, I've actually had some times where I'm like, I know Google because we want to just, just sit in this. So anyway, you know, that's, that's, we're starting a little light because you know, we do, I want to, we, we do want to talk about this, this topic. Um, we talked about a few weeks ago and it, it, I'm going to totally shift gears here. We've done this a few times here on the show, but we're going from some light, like we just talked about the Super Bowl, to something very, very serious. Um, and that is, that's just some of these new abortion laws, um, in New York and Virginia. And I, and I hope that's where it stops quite frankly, but I, I know there's some other ones in the works in different, uh, states. Um, but they're basically talking about third, third trimester abortions, uh, in, uh, in different contexts and for different children, uh, that they allow that for, um, Rick, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, man, it's been it's been a kind of a rough news week, I think, and you know, especially what we've seen coming out of Virginia this week and and the the Virginia's Virginia governor's comments on the radio about uh, third trimester abortion. You know, as a as a physician, um, I think it was I think it was very telling in his remarks that you know that even as he talked about. Um, you know, a, 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 a child being born and, you know, kept comfortable, but possibly being allowed to, you know, allowed to die because of uh, deformity or, you know, the reasons. And he was very vague about the categories. It was really telling to me, though, that he used the word infant. Um, that mm-hmm. that he didn't even this wasn't even sort of playing or shadowing that this is this is not a human life. Um, he's talking about a you know a child that to some degree has viability because you know because it, it, it's born and so he's he's not playing the game of of talking about you know inviability and I think it you know Phil it just it it demonstrates to us the the level of indifference that we've gotten to in many circles with regard to um, you know just the the sanctity of life and and the fact that you know the preoccupation that um, that we as um, we as human beings um, need to be able to um, to be determinate over that life and that we don't, we don't really trust or don't, you know, don't regard God's provision, uh, for life. And, and so it's been a tough week. I I think the, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is, and what's not getting a whole lot of press is the law that was, you know, was signed into, into law in Iowa, um, you know, right in the same timeframe. And so on one hand, we've got, you know, the, the state of New York, um, ratifying a bill, you've got this action going on and being proposed in Virginia, but we have the the state of Iowa stepping up and saying that if uh, if a heartbeat can be t- detected, um, then uh, it's th- then we are certainly considering considering that a viable human life, and it precludes abortion um, in the presence of a heartbeat. And so, I, th- I think there's some encouraging things out there. Um, biggest thing I would say to our, our listeners is just realize that. As um, you know, as we see the conditions that might lead to uh, a challenge of Roe versus Wade, um, this debate is going to be had on a state and on a local level, um, and and we we're we're about to enter uh, a different phase of the conversation because uh, state regulations are going to become oh so much more important, and uh, and part of our you know our fight to preserve life. Um, is going to be, you know, providing and and really um, making decisions according to that whole life pro life ethic, um, in you know in arenas that are a whole lot closer to home and possibly places where our voices can be heard more. Yeah, you know, this is uh, this is something that I really think uh, we should have a whole episode on, um, not just talking about here in the states, in the United States, but also globally. I know I've had several global listeners email me about this um, because I know that our listeners and people that are working in the context of orphan and vulnerable children and caring for them. Uh, this is an issue that is real to all of us. And it's also something that does go, as you said, to the whole life ethic. You know, if we're truly caring for all the children, um, we need to truly care for the children in, in the womb and, you know, and care for the mothers that are caring for the children in the womb and the care for the fathers who are there that are, you know, that are in the lives of those mothers and to care for the people who are caring for the kids and on and on and on. Right. And I'm glad you brought up the Iowa, 
um, the Iowa law as well, because I agree that didn't get much, that didn't get a lot of press. And it, and it is something that, that gave me hope, right? That gave me hope because as, as I talk to people about it, you know, with, with the abortion conversation, it's what's the logical end of it, right? If you don't value that human life, then what stops you from devaluing, you know, the, the infant when they are fully dependent on the, on the parent? Because, you know, if it's, if it's an idea of, well, they're fully dependent on the mom, well, lots of kids are fully dependent on their mom that are outside the womb. Um, and so this is one step closer to that when people are like, no, that's crazy. There's no way that would ever happen. I said, well, it's interesting because, you know, there's lots of things we said would never happen, but when you take that one step, then you take another step, then you take another step and it's that frog in the pot. Right. So, you know, I just said, this is a conversation that if we truly are, um, saying that we care for and love every human being, you know, we need to be consistent in that all the way across the board. Right. And that, that means different things to different people right now. And we need to, we need to really have these conversations, raw conversations, vulnerable conversations with each other that are honest, truthful, where we bring logic, where we bring rational thought. Um, and we bring, you know, truth, you know, truth and love, right. But truth to the conversation, because this is a very you know, sensitive t- topic for a lot of people because there's very personal. Some people have been, you know, have had, have had, you know, an abortion and are, are very, you know, traumatized by it. Um, other people, um, have had multiple and they aren't, they just, they just see it as a form of birth control. And so we need to have the conversations with people in the context of, of the reality of it. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like, uh, Iowa with the heartbeat, that's a reality, you know, and, and how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? If, if you're saying it's just a form of birth, birth control, right? This is a, a heartbeat. So how do you define that? So this is something that, you know, we had those, con- we had those conversations, uh, with, with Brian and Kira, um, a few episodes ago. And if you didn't listen to those folks, I encourage you to go back, but this is something we could talk a lot longer about, obviously, but we need to talk about it. It can't just be one of those things you don't talk about because it's uncomfortable. Cause if we don't, then, then it's, it's going to be, I think detrimental to our further detriment to our society and our culture as a whole. Any, any last thoughts before we introduce our guest? Yeah, I, th- I think, um, you know, the, the one thing that you said that I, I think we also, um, you know, have to realize in this is, is caring for, um, caring for, for birth moms and for birth dads in, uh, you know, in this equation and, and realizing that, um, you know, that, that many people make choices because they believe that they're the only choices that they can make. And, mm-hmm. and I think, um, you know, we, we, part of our being whole life pro-life, um, is valuing the lives of, the, the, the men and women that are faced with these decisions as well as protecting the life of the child. Um, and, and that's not a zero-sum decision. We, we can do both and should do both. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to. We absolutely have to or else we're going we're gonna to have more trauma in more lives. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I fully agree. So fortunately today we have another guy uh, on this show 
who loves children very, very much and is working to, uh, to love the children in his midst as, as best he possibly can and his best and to encourage and lead the people under his charge the best he can to be able to do the same thing. And, uh, this man works with, uh, Todd Guckenberger, who's been on the show a couple times with back to back ministries. He is their director of their, uh, Monterey, Mexico, uh, to ministry down there. And he's doing some amazing work that he's going to tell us about. So get your pen and pad of paper ready to take some notes so you can listen to Juan Porto. Well, Juan, it is so great to get you on the Think Orphan podcast. Thank you so much, Phil. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Juan, you and I uh, got to know each other a little bit uh, last year in uh, Guatemala when uh, we actually... The first time we met was when the earthquake happened and, uh, you know, we kind of came out in the hallway and, and met there when there was a massive, what, 7.8, I believe is what it was in Guatemala. Do you remember that? And that's, that's when we yes. got to meet. Yes, of course. And I'm a little bit more used to earthquakes because I'm from Mexico City, but I grew up in Mexico City. But um, yes, it was a, a quiet experience. Yeah, it's an interesting way to get to know a few people. Everyone in their pajamas coming out, but you know, um, it was a, it was a good way to just bond a little bit. Uh, but you know, I've gotten to know each other a little bit since then as well, and got to got to have some good conversations and learn about what you're doing in Monterey. But I know that a good chunk of our audience uh, does not know uh, much about you, if anything. And I'd love for you to share just a little bit about who you are, uh, where you're at, and, and kind of how you got to be where you are today. Yes. Um, well, thank you. Um, uh, I am um, I'm a Christ follower, and I love people. And um, I was uh, called by God uh, 16 years ago for uh, have a, a big life change and start being a foster family, parenting teenagers uh, with my wife. And we, we I, I love adventure. So for me, joining this. Adventure with Back to Back started 16 years ago, and um, we we just decided to move forward, and um, we start as a parents for one baby and three teenagers the same month at the same uh, this in, in in less than four weeks we were having four children in family, and uh, we were parenting for 13 years uh, teenagers. Uh, finally, in in 13 years, there were 21 guys and. Uh, we have three biological daughters now. So I have an amazing adventure and uh, serving through back to back. Um, God changed my perspective of serving and uh, how we relate people. My wife, my wife and me, we were not looking for to foster or to adopt. It just came out and um, uh, just uh, like a surprise from God. And uh, now my uh, we I have been serving as a, a few years in, in as a whole program director and since February 2017 as a side director for for back to back Monterey here in, in Monterey Mexico. Yeah, so you're so as you say you're with back to back. We had Todd Guckenberger on a couple times in the first couple seasons. So some of you may have have heard those interviews. If you didn't, I'll give you a really good. You can go back and listen and give you a good idea of what back to back is doing. Uh, kind of all over, but I want to just focus with you on the work you, you kind of mentioned there a little bit um, that Back to Back Ministries is doing in Monterey, Mexico, and um, you know specifically right now just to talk a little bit about you mentioned it the Hope Program and what that is. But can you just give an overview of the 
of the ministry in itself and kind of the scope of the ministry that you're doing there in Monterey and then uh, kind of focus in on what the HOPE program is and, and what your hopes and dreams are for that. Yes, of course. Uh, I used to say that in here, back to back Monterey, we do four things. The, we start serving children homes, um, uh, bringing um, a short mission trips, and the idea is to establish a long term relationship with the kids through back to back, with the people through back to back. And um, I think having working in amazing ways, we are serving right now five children homes. The main target we have here is helping them to transform the, 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 their care model just to really bring the family care base and help them, them to reconnect the kids with their families and providing trainings and different things. So this is the main thing we start doing here in Back to Back in, in Montreal. So because of that, we just realized many kids that were leaving the, the, the children homes around 15 years old because the education used to be mandatory just until uh, uh, 12 grade, uh, sorry, nine grade, until nine grade, secundaria. So it's something we call secundaria here in Mexico. So like secondary school. So that because of that, we just realized many kids that were leaving these institutions in the, in the best case scenario, joining their families. But uh, normally the, the scenario was no uh, positive. And with, at that age, they were having no skills to deal with life and, and many bad stories. So we decided to create a whole program when we decided to create it, the model of, uh, of what we know as a foster care was not existing in my country, was not part of the culture. So we decided just to, to be like an institution inviting these kids to live with their family. So we created like a something in between the, an institution and, um, and, the, and the foster care. For us in the practice, it was foster care. They were living with us. We were trying to be their family. That's the way the whole program was born. Because of that, we start moving forward, and we can go back to the whole program later, but we start moving forward, and, and then um, we just realized it was necessary to create a foster care system in my country. So we would start pushing hard and talking with the government, and praise God, my state became the first state with a, with a foster care system. It, it was, it, the, the journey started five years ago, and since three years ago, we have back-to-back uh, -back having helping to recruit train and help to certify families and do the following process with the, all the, the staff care, uh, family care with the ser social service and psychology services for, for those families. So uh, I think having amazing opportunity from God. So that's the third thing we do. And the fourth thing we do here is trainings because experience we having uh, and trainings and all the things we've been learning about the trauma competent care and many other things, we became a reference for many other uh, non-profit organizations, I, even other state governments and federal government. So we are helping and offering trainings for different levels, families, uh, churches, uh, uh, governments, or ONGs, just trying to help to, to, to be a voice for the orphans and, and equip the people they are looking for to serve and equip the church to serve. So... This is the four things we do. Yeah, so, so as you said, you know, the, I, I read several uh, different blog posts about the HOPE program, and it was something that really encouraged me. And I wanted to see, you know, just if you could give a little 
background on that program specifically and um, just really, you know, I think talk not only about the successes and how it's been, you know, really working for what, how you'd, you'd wish it would, but, but really how you've worked through some of the some of the issues and maybe problems that have, have arisen uh, as you're working with the children, as you're working with the different people in the ministry? Well, um, um, as the many challenges we have been facing here with the whole program and um, the way we, it was, um, the way we started the whole program, it came with this idea of just, we started with one couple. We were not, when we decided to start the program, whole program, we're looking forward to offer an opportunity for some teenagers that were growing a children's home, and they were needing the opportunity to be in a family. So, the the invitation was to take these kids out at, and put them with a family. So, in a couple, in in one year, we were uh, like, "This is working." So, why did we make it bigger? So we decide to go for seek for donors and help to, to how we can do the fundraising just to to find a property, build homes, and make it bigger. That's the way the, the whole program started racing. Now we have eight uh, eight homes here in Monterey. Six are in one uh, uh, we call campus. It's just a place with six homes, and then another another place with other two homes. So. We have just in the whole program, our staff is, is 20 people. It is structured by social workers, psychologists, uh, a director for the whole program, uh, education specialist. We have one doctor. Um, we have um, just trying to put together all the people giving us the, the, the skills or resources or solutions we need for this, uh, the development of the kids. Basically, each family is, is uh, having uh, one uh, group of six students in their house. Probably they have their own biological children, so we add a few more in the family. And um, it's always um, uh, a challenge because dealing with, with uh, the age between 15 to 20, 21 years old is is one of the most challenging stage of life for human beings. In my culture, children still living with their parents until they finish college or very often until they get married. So for us, we have something in between. We try to, to keep them living with, with the family until they, they are ready to move out in something we call the transition process. So um, I, I think when we think about challenges and, and all the kind of things, I can see dealing with human human needs, uh, what I have seen is dealing with human needs uh, and relationships is one of the most challenging things I have seen. It's, it's a lot of wearying, a lot of friction in between relationships. And this creates uh, many, many uh, scenarios just to have drama in, in the family, in relationships, because it's, it's to work with, with all the impact of the development of the kids. And that brings a lot of stress in the house, a lot of challenges. So I think it's, it's, uh, the whole program is, is, is doing amazing things because we, are, we have families just available to be dealing with this stage of life. Somebody told me, you decide to serve human beings in the worst stage of life of a human being, the teenage, and then um, with, the, with the worst experiences for a human being. It's, it's just being abandoned, being rejected, being... Um, neglected or abused 
that kind of experiences create a deep impact in human being. So we know it's, it's really challenging, but um, is the, the the call God made us, and I think um, we can see the final product. As 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 you know, not always is uh, success, but I ha- we have seen in general we have a positive impact and life changing experience for not just for the kids we serve, but even for those we we are parenting in the in the whole program. Mm-hmm. A couple of questions follow up on that. So with the the families in the homes. The parents are uh, assuming married couples, um, and uh, as you said, they, some of them have their own biological children. So the first question is, how, how do you find those couples to be able to come in and, and uh, commit to these these children? Well, it's a very good. A lot of people ask me that question, and I I, I don't have a precise response, but basically is through church. I mean. We seek in, in we seek for Christian families married with um with a call to to serve this kind of people because in my culture serving orphans is is just we are trying to create a culture because normally the culture is people think on on or, orphanages uh, is is the first thing coming to the mind of Mexicans is uh, taking care of orphans and the first things coming out is uh, an orphanage or children's homes the way we call them here mm-hmm. so. It's we we need to pray a lot. We we share. I think every opportunity we have to share what we do and to exp, uh, explaining to the people this is what we do and we explain what is the whole program. So very often the people the first question is coming out from their head. So they don't work. <laughs> so and I explain them their work is to be a parent. So the, the 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 house parents they leave everything. They leave their job. They leave everything just to be 100% here for the kids because it's a lot of work. They got to work in developing uh, uh, all kind of life skills. They need to help them in developing their, their education skills, emotional skills, social skills, spiritual skills, physical abilities. So to, to do this amount of investment in this number of people, six, seems like easy, but it's a lot of work. So normally uh, we share the need with families, with churches, even I can tell you, we were posting, uh, uh, in, in newspapers on websites or is, uh, the electronic medias, just positions looking for families to be house parents in the whole program. So it's, it's not easy to find them, but, but I, 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 the, I think the key, the key element is praying. Mm-hmm. We, I used to say, on my needs, I find them <laughs> just praying for God, and they have amazing ways that people they come to us and and respond to the call. Yeah, and, and how um, now are they are they uh, paid uh, positions? Are they missionaries? Are they how does that work? And and are the parents able to work outside the home, or you're saying they're 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 full time in the home and they're not. They're not going out and getting other jobs. Just want to sort of make sure because I know there's some, a lot of people out there. I know because we do similar work at La Providencia in Honduras, and I get the same questions a lot of the times. And so I just want you to be able to share people around the world who might, might uh, really are working to try to start similar things, um, as we call it, spiritual adoption. It's really is that hybrid between the foster kind of orphanage and, and adoptions because of what how the law is set up in these different countries. So I'd just love to hear you be able to speak to different people, just kind of give some of the 
the details on that because I think it's something that a lot of people are uh, wanting to model that but aren't sure really how to do it. And this is one of the biggest issues is getting the parents and keeping the parents really because that consistency is what the kids need. Yes, and we have um, the two two um, two choices or two ways we can find house parents. When we have foreign uh, house parents, because sometimes we have missionaries willing to be house parents in the whole program, uh, normally what they do is if they are Americans, they do the fundraising because it's part of the requirements when um, uh, people coming from overseas from the United States to Mexico, they got to do the fundraising to be here. So we have some parents that are uh, doing that. Of course, they got to be completely bilingual because they got to speak very well Spanish and um, to connect with the, the kids. And the, the key element is having a call from God because uh, this is, 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 yes, it's leaving everything to invest 100% of their time and energy on these kids to their development. Um, when, and then we have the other option. We have several families that are, um, we have several families that are uh, hired here, Mexican families. We hire them, so we offer them a salary. So, yes, they, they get to leave their work. Um, sometimes it's possible to keep something outside, but it's, it's minimum. Let's say, like, uh, probably we have a family, they, they, they have uh, one or two days per month. Uh, they offer some uh, activities or trainings for um, more like a consultant for corporate groups or that kind of things. So because it's one or two days per month, it's no problem. Uh, but but is as, as the amount of days investing in these kind of things is just one or two, mo- two days per month. So uh, in general, they, they can invest all their energy here because they got to have appointments with the, the, we call the technical team. That means social work, psychology, and education specialists. They got to meet with them to talk about the, the needs of the, their, their children, their students, we call uh, the, the kids they have. And um, so they got to work on their needs, explore how it's functioning. Then they get to invest t- time visiting the schools, helping to do homework, helping to do chores, developing skills with them. We, we challenge house parents to invest developing life skills. So they got to have a list of life skills they want to develop this month or this year. So looking for, do not overwhelm the students or the, the teenagers, but uh, but it's really being very intentional in what every interaction they have, everything they do, they're going to take them to the supermarket to teach them how to do shopping, or they're going to teach them how to drive a vehicle or how to cook meat or how to to make rice in the in cooking. All the, the, the those little things we learn in a regular base in many years, and they were left behind a lot and that kind of things. That's why they need to invest a lot of time and energy. And then you have the drama and other challenges, then encouraging the kids to go to their psychological appointment, the, the visiting their biological family, making connections, then attending all the trainings we have. We, we try to, to really have professionals doing what they do. So we offer trainings. We, we, we have a lot of opportunities to really keep growing and learning. Uh, plus all the activities we have here as a back-to-back staff and things doing together because they have opportunities to serve in other ways. They are not just 100% in the house. Sometimes they're helping in a cookout when a missionary group is coming to visit to serve in a children's home, connecting with these groups or having a, a field trip with, with one group and the kids from their house 
or inviting a, a missionary group to the house to have a meal. So it's very intense, their activities. So uh, I think is uh, when, when we think about it, we just don't look for just families willing to be there like caregivers. It's more than caregivers. It's, it's um, uh, really being uh, professionals or developing the, the life and the skills of their kids, uh, investing time and energy. Yeah, and, and what's the? How has it been as far as the the parents staying with the with the children? What, what's the commitment you ask for? What's the typical commitment that you get? Um, and how successful? I mean, because I imagine with these kids, obviously you want the parents to be there through the through their whole childhood to the extent possible. So, what? Uh, how has that been? How has your success been in that regard? Well. Um, um, my wife and me, we were the first house parents, and we were parenting almost 13 years. So uh, with the, the learning and the experience, I can tell you, at the beginning, we were asking for the families to have a commitment at least of three years. Uh, but now we are changing, and we are asking families to be committed at least five years. So we got to be very, very careful when we, when we choose a family, we hire a family, uh, is to really understand this is a long-term commitment. Of, to, of course, sometimes bad things happen, bad things happen, and probably it's necessary to, to finish the, the relationship earlier. Uh, I, I have, we have been through these kind of experiences, but as, as, as much as we can, we're looking for at least five years because one of the things impacting the, the children development is the, the changing caregivers. So, our primary caregivers. So what we are looking for is just to to have this sense of uh, permanency or, or um, stability for the kids. They knowing this family really love them and they want them in their family. I can tell you sometimes it's hard. If one of the children in my house, I I didn't like him. I I I gotta be honest. I didn't like him, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a nightmare. But God. God used him to teach me to love. And uh, is I can tell you now is the guy most connected with me and my family. We see him at least once per week. He have three children now. We went to the graduation for his uh, oldest children from elementary school, sixth grade. And um, it's just exciting to see them growing. So um, when when we, I use this example because the, 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 we have the commitment of at least five years but I can tell you the relationship is is going to forever because because they become part of your family. This is not just a position of fulfilling a, a, a space to offer uh, offering care for the kids. It's establishing relationships for life. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we talk about uh, with our families at La Providencia as well. And one of the things I want to ask you, it's a question I get a lot, is you know how... Um, are you measuring success with the, uh, the the children and the parents and the families that you're creating? And uh, you know how have how successful has it been? I mean, in those those children who have graduated out of high school, maybe college. How far, you know? I know it's relatively new, but for the children who have uh, been able to graduate out, um, how are you gauging that success? And how successful has it been? Okay, the, the, the way we measure success is uh, it, having 
sometimes is people they think is complicated to measure uh, like spiritual development. We we have five uh, as you know him back to back. We have five five areas of development we are looking for the physical, the spiritual, the physical, the educational, the emotional, and social uh, development. So many, very often people ask how you can measure that kind of things. Well, education is easy probably. Uh, physical development probably is easy, but everything is measurable. So when we think about spiritual development, is uh, how many of our students graduated, they have a relationship with God. How many of them, they confess Jesus Christ as, as, their, as their Savior? How many of them, they, um, they are active members or they go to church? And how many of them, they're active members in the church? Or if they don't, if, if they don't, they confess Jesus Christ as their Savior, how many of them? And then how many of them, they, they practice praying uh, as, a, as a part of the regular uh, relationship with God or a few more things like that? How many of them? They, they, they are um, at least they they know or they they recognize uh, the power or the, the authority of God in their life. So is it the kind of things we can measure? So I can tell you, uh, most of our students they confess Jesus Christ as their Savior. Um, the number is is decreasing when we go through how many of them there are regular members in a church. But, and then the numbers start decreasing when you think on on um, on the how many of them they are active members of the church. So it's the kind of things we know is a challenge we are dealing with. So we are looking for uh, we we start doing changes in what we do because we just realize offering all the spiritual care here in back to back in the campus is not good enough. They gotta be very very involved in their church. In, in outside of back to back, just to make sure once they once they leave the whole program, they have this strong relationship with the church just to keep moving forward. So we know we have challenges, there, but then we can measure the educational development is easy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have 73 percent uh, of our students in average, uh, between sixty five to seventy three percent of our students every year is changing. But uh, let's say between 70, uh, uh, 67 to 73% is they finish high school. So that's important because it's making a difference. This is offering opportunities to get better jobs, better payments when they look for, for a job. And uh, we have in average uh, between 51 to 60, some, but let's say keep it more low, 51, 52% of our students they finish college. So that's that's a big number when you compare to the national numbers. If you compare to the population in Mexico, we have just um, 20% of the, the, the Mexicans, they have a college education. So those that were the most vulnerable people, the, the people with less opportunities to go to college are not just the poor, but the, the orphans because they are not just poor, but they don't have a, a, a network support to, to help them to go to college. So our numbers are huge, which is good news, uh, but it's not good enough because when we think on the emotional development, that's important. Uh, for us, it's a key element. We can measure if these people is capable to deal with overwhelming emotions. If this person is capable to overcome the 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 failures, like when they were fired from their job or when they cannot find a job, they can deal with this kind of thing. So, yes, we can we can move forward and that kind of things. If if is 
we tr we're looking for measure the emotional development, then the social development. How many of the students, they graduated from back to back, they have a job um, and they keep it. So we have good numbers in general. Most of those, they are um, um, uh, compared, we have more male keeping their jobs than female because many females as a part of the culture, they, they become just uh, house, uh, housekeeping and, and taking care of their kids. But here comes a good number in social. 97% of our graduated, they are in charge of their children and they are providing for their needs. Hmm. So that's breaking a life cycle. So 97, that's great, a good number. And um, when that's a, when we think on the, the social development. So is there a way we can measure? Is the many things we need to improve? The whole program have a lot of uh, opportunity areas. We need to improve a lot of things. One of the things we need to improve is the follow-up because the, we need to create a network of people just being there available for the kids they graduate because yes, probably we have staff and people but we need more people involved. We need to find more people in churches looking for to be really part of this support network for the graduates and encouraging and coaching them when once they are out there just to make things happen. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, one of the, the couple of things that you talked a lot about there were the spiritual and emotional health, how important that is uh, with the children. It's also really important with the uh, the people working uh, with the children, um, the missionaries, the different and all the different people doing the ministry. How do you do that? Um, how do you work to help the workers be emotionally and spiritual healthy? spiritually healthy, you know, really the self-care. How, how are you encouraging that? How are you training them up on that? How, and how are you making sure that they're really, they really are emotionally and spiritually healthy as they're working with the children? Uh, I can tell you, I, I used to, to frame it in this way, uh, to, just to highlight the importance. If you take a, a normal kid in, 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 in anywhere in, in, in having issues and uh, the, the parents take the kid to the psychologist because they need to work with the, with the kid. The first thing after interviewing the kid, normally the psychologist, they said, I got to work with their parents. So for us, the, 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 the health of the, the children depends on the health of the parents. I mean, it's not, depend not depends, but it's very, very strong connected. Uh, for us, it's super, super important to invest in the emotional and the spiritual health of our house parents. If they are healthy, we have a super high possibilities of having a healthier students in the house. So how we try to address this? First of all, we, tr we, we consider um, the, the uh, offering training and skills to do the work is very important. So we invest a lot of time and energy training house parents in um, skills like um, trauma competent care, um, uh, trainings like the, the, uh, um, the name in English is uh, uh, Empowered to Connect, uh, which is based on TBRI and all this research developed by the, the child development in, in, in the war and basically by Karen Purvis in the Child Development Institute. All the kind of things, they are very important as part of the base of what we do. Then um, something very important is we we make sure and we evaluate if the, the, the parents are having a healthy relationship in their church. They got to be uh, active church members. 
they gotta be participating in the church because the churches and relationships in, in with the, the 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 body of Christ is very important. Then uh, we try to to offer a, a psychological support. We have part of our staff is psychologists, and they are working with them just to make sure they are dealing with their challenges and um, if they are uh, saving time and energy for keep a balance in their life. Something very important is uh, we, we go through a Bible study called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Every staff member, they got to treat because this opened the door to create conversations about how they are living their loss and griefs, how they are making sense of their past, how they are overcoming the wall they are facing in front of them when they have challenges, how they are... Um, uh, keeping a balance between work and rest. For us, rest, uh, I, I mean, uh, to use just one word, Sabbath and, and rest is important for, for family, for us, because it's talking about the faith and the relationship with God, the dependency on God, and He's controlling everything and not us. So um, I think that that's a key element because I, I can tell you, one important conversation with the, with the, the house parents is not just how are you taking care of the kids or how hard are you working? It's more important even sometimes, are you resting? Are you taking your day off? Are you really modeling the rest for your children, showing them how to rest, to how to depend on God? So that's a key element for us. If, if the house parents are not keeping a balance, we can call them and, and tell them like this is not working. You gotta find way to rest. What we need to to change. How we can help you to make it happen. So uh, because it's, that's that's elements key. Probably can have the space and the time for resting, but if the brain is not resting, if the brain is just keeping working and thinking and that kind of things, so that's why we try to work with the psychologists and go forward like trying to lead them to 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 explore how. The Holy Spirit can help and just be healthy. Well, Juan, I know we can talk about all these things for a lot longer. Um, there's so much wisdom that you guys have and the work you're doing back to back. And um, But we are coming to the end of this interview. So hopefully we'll be able to continue the conversation at some point in the, in the near future. We have a couple questions we ask all of our guests. And now I'm going to throw those your way. And uh, – Looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So the last, uh, the second to last question, what have you read, watched, or listened to uh, recently that has impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and vulnerable children? Okay, um, many things, but what I have, um, I've been reading and listening, it's um, uh, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book from Peter Scacero, I think was life-changing for me. Um I think uh, even the other book he have the the, is, uh, the emotionally healthy leader, Spirit, uh, emotionally and healthy spiritually leader. It's important. Um, it becomes a key element because it gives us the tools to to really go deep in our relationship with God, and constantly asking the question, "How I am? Where I am at? Where I came from? Where I'm going?" So that that it's a key element to be healthy. And uh, a huge influence for, for us as back-to-back -back is that the, all the, the, the research and work for many people from uh, the, uh, the trauma-competent care uh, is very important. The, the work from uh, Karen Purvis, from uh, Jane Schooler, from um, the Child Development Institute in the 
Texas Christian University, uh, now named the, the Karen Purvis Institute. I think their work has become a key element in what we do. Some of the research done in the uh, Minnesota University is important too in terms of uh, the, how we focus what what we do when we are looking for the people and the skills of the people when they are taking care of the kids. Um, the Empower to Connect website, I think, is, is a lot of resources we found there. My wife and me we became trainers of Empower to Connect training, and I can tell you it's life-changing because it helps you to really go deep and uh, ensure you are becoming uh, skilled using your tools to help the kids coming from hard places. So for me, that's uh, the super important uh, elements and trainings. Uh, we attend the Christian Lion for Orphan Conference, is, is, uh, the summit conferences there are amazing. Many people can, uh, it, it's a big influence. So I encourage just to people just to go through these kind of things. They are, they are awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all those different resources. Um, and what, uh, what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and vulnerable children with excellence? Well, for me, um, my first influence uh, was, of course, Todd and Beth Guckenberger because they invited me to do this. And really, they were modeling uh, a genuine and, and, and real love to to their kids. And um, they were they impacted my life a lot. Then I, I cannot explain you how she she took this place. But Karen Purvis, she became like my grandma. Not, not because there their skills. I, I can't. It, it's. Oh, because she was a charismatic person, but really her her uh, teachings and, and research, uh, it's a huge impact in my life. I, I studied biology. I like science. So um, all the way she was doing uh, the research and the way she was connecting the science and the, 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 the spiritual things and the needs of the kids and all the, the elements, it really impacted the way we can serve with really deep understanding of their needs. And Jed Medfin, I think, is one more impact, impact my life. His humbleness and the willingness to serve orphans have it impacted me. And uh, he's a big example for me just to, to motivate me and encourage me to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, those are some great folks. And uh, I know that you uh, also are a man that's encouraging so many. So thank you so much uh, for sharing your wisdom with us today, Juan. And uh, yeah, like I said, I look forward to continuing the conversation real soon. Thank you, Phil. And um, I'm very excited for this. I hope having you soon here in Monterey to to just know what we do and do some adventure stuff. Because as you know, I love to to do adventure things and probably to Kenya and have fun and challenge you with some amazing things here. Well, I look forward to that too. Well, thanks again, Juan, for sharing your wisdom with us. You know, Rick, I, I had the pleasure of, uh, of hanging out with Juan. I meant to talk about this before the interview, but I got to spend some time with him, as I mentioned, on the, on the interview. And one of the things about this guy that was just amazing is, you know, he's a bit older than me. And, you know, for those of you who know me, I'm, I'm not a, you know, a spring chicken anymore. And this guy was telling me, Juan was just talking about how he's still going like canyoning and bungee jumping off of cliffs and jumping into, you know, pools off of rocks, uh, you know, 40 feet, whatever. This guy's nuts, you know, but just in a good way, like not, not crazy weird, but just like, man, he, he loves life. And so, you know, when he's talking about all this stuff and he's talking about doing what he's doing, man, he does it with gusto and he does it with everything he's got. So, 
What do you what do you know, Ron? Rick, do you know Juan? I don't. I don't. I obviously know a lot of folks from back to back and you know, love them and, and really, you know, respect their ministry, but uh but I don't know Juan. I you know, I can tell you just uh in in listening to the interview, he uh if I mean the work that he's done with uh, with teenagers, um, yeah, he's a little crazy, right? We all are. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we, you know, <laughs> jumping into, uh, you know, ministry with teenagers, but uh, but it's a good crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So what so what do you think about the interview, man? Just um, really appreciate you know his heart and and obviously knowing um, you know knowing back to back as I do and and we've at Lifeline we've been able to collaborate with them on. Uh, you know, on some projects and training along the way, and just the the, the care in which they have stepped into, um, you know, really uh, f- beginning a foster movement or catalyzing a foster movement in Mexico. Um, the fact that they have they brought good training to the church that you know this has not been a call without without a pathway um, is you know is is really incredible. Um, you know, obviously love the fact that. You know that he and his wife are, you know, kind of living this out, and what they've really done is is kind of replicated something that God called them to, um, and have given a pathway for you know for a lot of other folks in the church to to follow behind that. But uh, but I think he's a great example to us of you know the need that that sometimes we make these great pronouncements about you know what we what we know that God has called us to do in you know, caring for kids in our own community, for stepping into foster care, for, you know, stepping into orphan care around the world, but but not taking the time to, you know, to really practically invest in the strategies and the training and, and the things that are needed um, in, in order to do that well. And I think they're a great example of, uh, you know, really uh, putting you know putting action to to their rhetoric in in stepping in and and meeting that need for the church. Yeah, definitely no, and I you know you talk about the training that back to back does. You know they've been able to do training uh, down in Honduras, and I know uh, lots of different ministries that are that are partnering with Providence were able to be a part of that, and it's it's just it's so accessible. And the thing I love about their training is is they share you know, they share their resources with people just openly. And I love that. I love that it's not just this thing, you know, granted, you know, they're doing a a specific type of training and they're not going to like make whatever training you want, but, but they do it. And like, if you're going to be able to use it, they're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and use it. You know, this is, this is for the best of the, the kingdom and of the kids that we, that we care about. And, and, and it's great training, you know, Jane Schooler and, and, you know, uh, they, David, David and Jane, right? Yep. David um, and Jane. Yeah. They, they've, uh, they've been able to, to join up with back to back and doing just amazing work. Um, I love the focus on self-care. Um, for the workers back to back and the training that they go through for the training they give to the teams that they send anywhere, uh, the trauma informed training that they're able to do there. Um, it's just, it's so intentional and I love that. And to hear Juan talk about it as well, it's so encouraging to me. Um, have you had that same experience with them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, David and Jane are, are dear friends and, and people that I, you know, just come to love and respect and, and they, um, you know, they've sort of opened the door um, to to us knowing more about back to back and in partnership. And uh, honestly, I can say with the, the, the from our perspective um, and the interactions we've had with them at, at Lifeline, um, I've never known anyone from back to back to say no. 
Um, <laughs> you know, it's always it's always a yes. Um, you know, there are times where they may not, you know, they may not have something either. But the truth is, if they have it, they're willing to share it. And and they're just mm-hmm. such a such a great example of um, you know collaboration and help, and are always eager to um, you know to 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 be um, you know to be part of a process of extending the kingdom and, and, and doing that well. I, I think, you know, one of the things he said during the interview that, that I, they have developed more on, but I, I think in, you know, even in the ideas of, about, not just about self-care, but also just about healthy self-understanding, um, you know, things like us, us understanding our own attachment styles, um, you know, understanding where, maybe some of our own hangups may be coming from or our own difficulty and and realizing that part of this part of self-care is that that in the midst of um you know entering the 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 hurt of a vulnerable child or a child that's come from a hard place is that that we end up inevitably dealing with some of our own junk and they're just a great example of a ministry who proactively seeks to to provide for um, the the people that are that are that are working as a part of their ministry and the people that are affiliated with them um, to to do that well and you know and and it's I'm just I'm a huge fan um, I, I think too I was really struck by he he made the comment about just you know really trying to trying to lead a cultural shift. Um, in mm-hmm. in the way that they're thinking about care, and the way that the you know the church is approaching, um, you know what what they're doing in, in foster work, and in the way that they're you know they're raising up um, house parents that um, you know to to really be family to a lot of these you know a lot of these kids that are teenagers, and and he just kept going back over and over, and I, I thought it was really notable. Um, that when he talked about those cultural shifts, he, he inevitably went to prayer and, and, mm-hmm. and very much said that, uh, that part of what sits at the center of all that they do is just really praying and seeking, um, you know, that the, that the Lord would provide the right people and that God would empower um, the people that he provides and, you know, all, all of those sorts of things and, and realizing that if we're going to make a cultural shift, that a lot of that has to come just, you know, strictly from, you know, God's intervention. Yeah, definitely. No. And it, I, uh, as I've said with many of the guests, you know, the, the, these guests aren't just speaking for the mic, you know, they're not just saying this stuff and, and not living it out. Every one of these people we have on the show, man, they're the real deal. They're working, they're working to do this stuff and, and, you know, everything that Rick, you just said, absolutely. You know, and I, I, I even love to the point that he, he gave some examples of the things that they're doing, right. The, the using the book, emotionally sp- healthy spirituality, uh, Peter Scazzaro, such a great book. I actually went through that a few years ago with the men's group. I was a part of emotionally healthy leader, the empowered connect materials, TBRI, all that, you know, and you know, that, that's what I, I love that. He's not just like, yeah, we're doing self care, you know, but it's like, this is what we're using and this is how we're doing it. And this is what we're walking through so that, you know, if other people want to do it, they can, 
they can be able, they're able to do. And that's part of the reason why we're doing the show, right? And it's to be able to help each other all around the world to be able to say, okay, how can we do that, right? These are some great organizations. This is what they're doing. How can we be a part of that? It's like when I found out IJM, you know, has their prayer meeting every morning. You know, I said, hey, we as an organization need to do that. Like something like that. What does that look like in the context of our organization? We don't have the big, big offices like IJM does. There's only three of us and we're all remote, but how can we do that in a way that fits into our organization and have a culture of prayer, right? What does that look like? And, uh, and so that's, yeah, I just absolutely love that. So, you know, I'm going to get going into the recommendations unless you have something else to add. No, man, I I think, you know, in the, in the spirit of sharing and resources, uh, yeah, I want to hear what you got this week. What, uh, what, what would you recommend to us? Well, you know, I, I kind of jumped on the, the recommendation that, that Juan did, and I, that's the book that I'm going to recommend this week. I think that Emotionally Healthy Spirituality was a great book. Um, you, you can't go wrong with that book uh, to, to just really talk in, this, in the context of self-care. And he's a, he was a pastor, or he's a pastor who, uh, you know, who went through some issues. And this is how he kind of, he wrote this book in the context of that. And so, um, but the two re- reference or uh, recommendations I'm given this week uh, are two movies. And one was, uh, is Black Klansman. And the other is uh, Isle of Dogs. And so the reason I do both of these is, is we, as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, we're in, we're in very just politically you know, emotionally charged times right now. And there's a lot of, you know, different types of news you're getting, right? You know, whether you want to call it fake news, whether you want to call it just different, uh, you know, outlets giving their views on things. Um, you know, you have all kinds of stuff going on. You have leaders of, of the United States, leaders of other countries, um, not just the presidents and the, and the ultimate leader, but the, the congressmen and the, you know, parliamentarians and the other people who are leading different areas that are giving their takes on things. Isle of Dogs is a movie about that. It's about propaganda. It's it's a Wes Anderson movie. For those who know Wes Anderson, it's going to be weird. Um, but it's about basically how this Kobayashi, the leader, banished dogs to the island um, of the Isle of Dogs. And he basically, because, you know, he made something up because he was a cat lover. And it was kind of a, it was not kind of, it was totally absurd. But it basically talked about the power of collective action in the context of um, the propaganda that was going on in the, in this, uh, in this, uh, city. And it was really, I think, appropriate for our time, you know, to see how, you know, we, if we see something that is over the top, that is something we disagree on to not just sit quiet, not just sit quiet in the, in the midst of the absurdity, not just sit quiet, even when it's not rational, even when it's not logical and say, well, that's just the way it's going. No, to say, to challenge that, to say, no, that's not okay. And we, you know, we as Christians need to do that. We say, no, this is not okay. This is not right. And we need to stand up for things. So I thought that that, in the midst of, you know, the total absurdity of the movie, it made a, it made a strong point, I thought. Black Klansman was a, was a fantastic movie about uh, Colorado Springs Police Department back in the 70s. And uh, where they, this, this policeman, this black policeman came in and, and helped to bring down the Klan in, that, in, in, the, in the Colorado Springs at the time. But it was a, a movie about how 
in order to reconcile our races, it's going to take both races, like whether it's black and white or whatever other race and, and another, you know, twenty two races, it's going to take both sides really wanting to do it or it's not going to happen. And it was, it was very, I'm not going to say much more about it, but it was a very powerful movie that was very well made, very good movie. And if you're at all involved in reconciliation work, I strongly recommend it because I think it, it helps you see some blind spots that you might have. And it helps you, um, to understand, um, that there is another side that you really need to seek to understand. So, so yeah, those are my, those are my couple recommendations and, uh, Fantastic. And I, yeah. So what do you, have you seen either of those? You know, I, I you know, I've told you I'm not really uh, much of a movie guy. And so I just it, thought maybe you saw it like in passing. Or if something they if they haven't something. shown up in front of me on an airplane, then I probably haven't seen them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, and that's OK. And they that's and they okay. I don't think they've made it that far down the line yet. So. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely good. Good movies it would not be a waste of your time. Um, you know, although I, I will fully admit I watched Isle of Dogs while I was doing other work, um, because just in case it wasn't worth my time, I wanted to make sure I was doing something else. Um, and I do that sometimes and that's okay to do folks. I'm giving you full permission to do that. You don't need to f- be fully engaged in a movie if you're not fully convinced it's going to be worth your time. That's right. Multitask. Uh, just don't text and drive. You heard it here first. That's exactly right. Don't text and drive, but otherwise, Phil Dark said you can yeah. multitask anytime you want to. Well, don't watch movies and drive. Don't do basically drive. Just drive, and then that's that's a good. You know, you can talk to somebody. Just don't look at them. My wife gets on me that all the time. She's like, "Don't look at me while you're driving," and so um, you know, it's probably a pretty good rule. It's probably a pretty good rule. So anyway, folks, take that. Take even that folks you can take um take everything that you've you've learned on this show i i I pray that you take the things that you're reading watching um and and you're using all of it to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day thanks a lot have a great week we hope you've enjoyed today's think orphan podcast for all the information in this week's podcast please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.